The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. So if you look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, um, we're going to take a look at the two verses that we bring our focus to this morning, and that's verses 10 and 11. Although, keep your Bible open because this, this text is set in a crucial context that needs to be understood. So here we are. Here's where our focus will be this morning in our study, uh, our second sermon on the stewardship of spiritual gifts by discovering, developing, and deploying them. Here's what it says, verse 10. Uh, This is God's word. It's true, inerrant, and infallible. As each, or maybe the NAS translation might be a little better, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, or maybe better translated, multifaceted uh, grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass weathers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may this his word be preached for you. Please be seated. I'm always cognizant as a pastor of um, the need for explanation in terms of pulpit ministry and particularly for visitors when you encounter something like this. So if I could just take a moment, very brief moment, and mention to you who are visiting that at Briarwood, our normal course of ministry is exposition of God's Word. And we're in a little parenthesis right now, a little halt in our expositions on the Gospel of God from the book of Romans. And we've done so to give attention to our ministry theme for this year. Therefore, we take our ministry theme, we go to various texts and expound those addressing the ministry theme. And what we try to do is to get a crucial element of the Christian life in front of our entire congregation, every Sunday school community, every discipleship group, men's ministry, women's ministry, the whole thing to build that theme into the life of the believer, of the members, and of the church. That's what we try to do. This year's ministry theme follows on the heels of our ministry theme of lifestyle stewardship. We not only are, we, when we do stewardship, it's not simply financial. Stewardship is stewardship of life for Christ. That we are called to be stewards, servant stewards for Christ. And so we've looked at that for a couple of years. But now we're bringing, we're just bringing the focus down to this matter of spiritual gifts. How do we steward our spiritual gifts? Um, and then, so what I thought is that the best thing to do is to go to the four key 
text on spiritual gifts. And that's 1 Peter 4 that we're looking at today. Next week, we'll move to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's probably the most extensive and definitive. Then we will move to... Um, Romans 12, and then we'll move to Ephesians 4 as kind of the capstone to put it all together. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, um, uh, well, particularly verses 11 through 16. So that's what we're doing, and that's what we're attempting to accomplish. Now, I'm starting with 1 Peter 4. We've looked at our basic text from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that we are, it's required of stewards to be faithful. Stewards want to hear before the Lord, well done good and faithful servant. And therefore, when we set the boundaries and the understanding of stewardship, we're diving into spiritual gifts. And why would I start? Why not start with 1 Corinthians 12? It's the most definitive. It's the largest. It's just jam-packed with information on spiritual gifts. Why would we go to, why would we go to 1 Peter 4? And by the way, why, why are spiritual gifts so important? I mean, first of all, preachers like to be relevant. Guess what? I'm relevant. I don't want y'all to close your eyes. No looking around. If I see you looking, I'm going to call you out. I'm looking. You can't. Close your eyes. How many of you here are Christians? Raise your hand. Okay. This is relevant. You have a spiritual gift. You have one. You're accountable to God for it. And... Paul will tell us next week that one of the problems at the church at Corinth is they were ignorant of what God says about the gifts he gives. Therefore, they had become prey for false teaching. They had become prey for cultic. If you don't understand it, spiritual gifts may be an area whereby you give an open door to cults if you don't understand what the Bible says to you. Plus, then we don't know how to use it. They become unused or they become misused or they become abused. Well, we don't want that. So where do we start? We don't start with, well, I feel. And we don't even start with, well, I think. We start with, what does God say? What does God say about these gifts that he gives to every single one of you? And what does he want us to know? Well, I believe that Peter gives us the foundational understanding of that. But there's even a bigger reason why we start with Peter. Not only does he give us five framing principles about spiritual gifts that are going to guide us through Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. Not only does he do that, but it is extremely uh Uh, It is extremely uh, up-to-date for us. When Peter writes his epistle, he's telling Christians, this place isn't your home. Pilgrim's progress flows from 1 Peter. That's where we need to understand. We are not, this is not our home. We are pilgrims on mission, on message, and in ministry. We are people who live in kingdoms of this world for the kingdom of God and to extend that kingdom. And we need to know how to accomplish our mission, 
proclaim our message, and engage in ministry. And Peter gives us a picture. He says, you're pilgrims, you're exiles, you're elect exiles of the Lord. And you're living, and in my humble opinion, and it is, believe me, I'm not just saying that, it is a humble opinion. I don't believe there's ever been for us a century more comparable to the first century than the 21st century. In the first century, where Peter and Paul and the apostles are spreading the gospel, it There was a pagan social world order enforced by powerful governments and it was hostile to Christianity and Christ church. It was hostile to Christianity and Christ church. Now the 21st century, we have the rise of centralized overreaching power We have not only that in our society, we have a rise of neo-paganism. Just look at the pagan sexual anarchy promoted, promiscuity, perversion, uh, immodesty, all of those things that are beginning to dominate our culture and the attack and the focus upon Christianity, other religions, no problem. They can be manipulated. But Christianity, biblical Christianity, it has to be targeted because it's got things like sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage, sanctity of gender, sanctity of of, uh, family. Uh, It's got all of those things that stand in the way of a creature, I'm sorry, a creature-centered world and life views. And it stands in the way. So that's where we are. I know we have been the blessing in this nation and in Western civilization, which was affected by the Reformation, further affected by the Great Awakening, further affected by the Second Great Awakening, so that you could be out and serving Jesus and the culture would give you applause. That's not true and increasingly not true anymore. So when the hostility and adversity that targets Christianity in general, the church in particular, which by the way, the Bible just tells you, read the book of Revelation, that Satan wants to devour the bride of Christ. That's what he wants to do. He he can't get to Jesus, so maybe I can get to his people. But God is sovereign in all of this, and he tells us how to live as pilgrims in exile and in the midst of adversity and suffering. And that's another reason I want to start with Peter. Because what Peter tells the first church, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Every Christian, he's just repeating what Jesus said. If you desire that every one of you will suffer for my sake. We don't know to what degree. We don't know where. We don't know how. But we are in not only a broken world, but a hostile world system against the Lord. So we can either go die in a pile of self-pity, or we can... Move and arise as his church with the strength he supplies and the wisdom he gives. And one of those has to do with spiritual gifts. You know, every text, even First Peter 4, verses uh, 10 and 11, every text in the Bible is a potential, potentially misused text if you don't use it in its context. And in this occasion, I'm going to take a few moments in the context of... of um, of this text that we're studying on spiritual gifts, I want to look at the surrounding text, not only so that we don't misuse the text, but also because the context 
really enhances our understanding of the text. Now remember, Paul wants you to know how to live with suffering, how to live in adversity, and walk in the triumph of Christ on mission, on message, and in ministry. And he gives to you in these few verses, he gives to you seven things to remember. Now each one of these, don't try, listen, don't try to get too deep on it. Just hear them, embrace them, have them available, think on them, meditate on them. Each one of them deserves their own sermon. But I'm just going to mention them to you. Then we dig down on one of them, and that's spiritual gifts. Take a look with me in First Peter chapter 4. Take a look with me in verse, um, in, verse, in verse 1. Let me read the first six verses first. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So Jesus came into the world. What did he do? He suffered in the flesh. Now watch. What is the church? The body of Christ. What do you think is going to happen to the church? Christ in his body did what? Suffered. Guess what's going to happen to the church? If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you, Jesus tells us. So Christ suffered in the flesh. Now, since he suffered in the flesh, what should you do? Arm yourselves, the armor of Christ, with the same way of thinking, a new mind. you got to think biblically. You've got to have a renewed mind with the same way of thinking. In other words, you have to have the mind of Christ. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in Boy, this sound familiar? Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when they, when you do not join them in the same, in the same flood of debauchery. And then they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now stop right there. Here's what he is saying. You're in a broken world, a world that stands in adversity, a world that you are to reach. Now watch, you are in this world, but you are not to be what? Hello? Of this world. So the first thing he's telling us to live in this world and reach the people in the world is not to be like it and participate in it, enable it, empower it, but to be different. There's your first one. That the Christian is called to be different and distinct in the age as we approach the coming of Christ. Christians are different and distinct. That doesn't mean we're isolated. That doesn't mean we're segregated. That doesn't mean we go live in a compound. That doesn't mean that the way you're different is you make sure that your dress is three decades out of distinction. That's not what it means. Modesty, clarity, love for Christ, God-centered, you live distinct and different. Not with the mind of the world, 
but with the mind of Christ. Not with the weapons of the world, but the weapons of the Spirit. Not with the world's um, um, manipulations, but with the armor of Christ. Then, secondly, Christians, did you see it? Cease from sin. Now, what does that mean? That does not mean on this side of eternity you will ever be perfect. You and I will never be perfect on this side of eternity. But when you begin to suffer, knowing that Christ suffered for you to save you, what he means by cease from sin is in your heart and your mind, you mature to the point you're done with it. You're not going to give me those false, empty promises and me believe it anymore. There is no profit in idolatry and rebellion. Sin's wages is not excitement and joy, but death. And in the midst of a world where you suffer for Christ, it simply reminds you we're dead to sin. In fact, we're dead to ourselves. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. It is that which God has called me to be and to do. We're done with it. God has broken the power of sin in our life. God has bring, has brought the double cure from the power of sin and the guilt of sin. I have been born again. I have been given a new heart. I have been given a new record. I've been given a new family. I've been given a new life. Now I want to be done with sin. I want to kill sin in thought, word, and deed. And then I want to get on the pilgrim's progress of not only killing sin, but living to Christ, obeying him whom I love because he first loved me. Christians desire to be done with it. And their suffering just reminds them there is no profit in cosmic treason against God. Number four, number three. Christians are to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, including self-control. Go to the next verse with me. The end of all things is at hand. Now listen, don't run by a book when I read that. Uh, that. What that means is, when Jesus ascended, the clock was turned on, we're moving to the end. We're in the latter times. We have no idea how long that's going to be. Jesus is coming back. The end is in motion. It is being moved. We're moving toward it. And he will come back when the gospel has been preached to all the nations. And all of the elect of God have been secured from every tribe and nation. Therefore, in light of the fact that we are coming to the glories of the consummation of the coming of Christ and a new heavens and a new earth. Therefore, be self-controlled. And sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit. If I was to take you to Galatians 6 and we were to look at the fruit of the Spirit, what would we see? For the fruit of the Spirit, notice, not fruits. This isn't a menu that you can choose. I'll take, uh, I'll take peace and, uh, and I'll give you patience. Okay, that's not that. No, the, the whole thing comes together. The fruit singular of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Hello. Self-control. 
self-control and sober-minded. This is what God calls us to be in life. Living controlled by the Spirit, not the passions of the age. And sober-minded because the mind of Christ is focused. Doesn't mean it's joyless by any means. My goodness, the laughter of righteousness is glorious. The laughter of faith is glorious. Just go ask Sarah. But it does mean we're sober-minded. We've got clarity of mind from the Word of God, and we've got clarity of life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then sum it up. Spirit of God controls ourself, who we are. And he's molding us and making us to focus upon Christ. Well, what will that lead to? Well, that'll lead to love one another. Here's what he says. So your prayer life will be enhanced. The corporate life in the body of Christ will be enhanced because above all, keep loving one another. I mean, Peter knows what Jesus told the apostles. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. What's new about it? As I have loved you. And so we have that sacrificial, thoughtful love of one another that's supposed to dominate us, that's supposed to lead us, that's supposed to fill us. Here's what he says. Do, he said, loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, what he's not talking, he, what he means is, well, I love you, son. I see you in sin. I'm not going to talk to you about it because I love you. No, if you love them, you're going to talk. You know, the Lord, the one, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. What it means is, while you love one another to expose sin that we can grow in grace, we don't wrongly expose one another. We don't wrongly, we don't use shaming. There's shame to sin, but we don't use shaming and manipulation. On the contrary, we envelop one another, we love one another, and we do so with focus and with desire that we grow in grace. Then he says, well, what will that lead to? Well, that leads to number five. You are to practice joyful hospitality. That we are, that when you live in a suffering perverse age of paganism, you not only live differently by the power of God and the word of God, you not only grow because you want to be done with sin, you not only manifest the fruit of the spirit, including self-control unto sober-mindedness, you not only love one another, you not only express that, you, but you express that love with joyful hospitality. I love that phrase, show hospitality to one another. And I love this phrase, without grumbling. Folks, there is nothing more debilitating than to be around grumbling all the time. I love the word for it from the Old Testament. We get another word for this, murmuring. Do you know what that word comes from? Kind of a nonsensical arrangement of consonants in the Hebrew. It kind of sounds like this. You remember how they were going through the wilderness? And what were they doing to Moses and Aaron? Constantly what? Well, let me tell you. Murmur, grumble, you'll get what you want. And you'll demoralize people around you and those who are laying down their lives to love you and lead you. But he says, no, no, we're not going to do that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to show hospitality. When you think of hospitality, may I recommend a book, Rosaria Butterfield's book on hospitality to you and Edith Schaefer's book on hospitality. Those are two of the best books I've ever seen on hospitality. 
Cindy and I, uh, when we built our home in Charlotte in ministry, and when we now are remodeling this home uh, because it's paid for and we can now afford to remodel it, we sat down and said, how will this help us reach people? Cindy and I were led to call our home Cherith. You may realize that's a brook where refuge was found for the prophet. And that's what we say. God helps us do it. Our Bible study, our, our weekly Bible studies, our monthly visitors, our this and that. Please help us. Now, what? how can we arrange this home for that purpose? And who can we get in it? We don't want a home that's a castle with a moat around it. We want a home that has doors that are open and tables with chairs that are open. Please let us do that. And so we've tried to think our way through it. But here's the model. is Jesus. What did Jesus come? To seek and to save. And then when he seeks and saves, what does he do? I'm going away to what? Prepare a place for you. He has designed the place for you in a new heavens and a new earth. Here is your model of hospitality. It's seeking. It's serving. It's saving. And it does so by bringing people in to the refuge of our lives. Our homes are lighthouses of the gospel. Our homes, when necessary, are hospitals. Our homes, when necessary, are a refuge. That's what God's people do in a perverse age. That's what they do. And they do it without grumbling. It becomes a joy. Well, let me ask you to go to another one. And the next one is the sixth one. I'm not going to spend any time on it except when I get to spending time on it. Christians are to faithfully steward, oikonomos, steward their spiritual gifts in order to stay on mission, on message, and in ministry in a age of adversity. And then number seven, Christians are to exalt and glorify God. Look at what he says. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Christians not only steward their gifts, their motivation is to exalt Christ, and by so doing, give glory to God. Giving glory to God. I said something that I want to repeat at uh, Frank's service of remembrance. And I want to say it again because it's one of the great lessons that he taught me in life. A lot of people say, well, look at the ministries that have been developed out of Briarwood. It's because, you know, Frank didn't care who got the credit. Now, I know what people are trying to say, and that's obviously the way I approached it, but watching him all the time, I would say Frank cared deeply about who got the credit. First of all, he cared deeply that he didn't get the credit. Secondly, he cared deeply that Jesus got all the credit.
and those whom Jesus loved got the credit. How many of these ministries here have been born out of that? That very heart that he has, that he had in the Lord. Now he's got it perfectly. Uh, that God would be glorified. Christ would be exalted. And others whom he used, they would get the credit for what they did. As for himself, he didn't care about it. That's the motivation. I want you to pack that away in your mind because I'm going to do something very quickly in just a moment. And you've got to call that back to your memory. Because now I want to go from the context that gives you the seven principles of how you live in an age of adversity. And I want to give you very quickly just five framing principles on spiritual gifts. I don't have to take a lot of time with them because we're going to be revisiting these same principles in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. So let me give them to you. Look at verse, look at verse 10 again. As each one has received a spiritual or a gift, and the word for gift in the Bible is charismata. It comes from the word charis, which means grace, a grace-given gift. As each one has received a special gift or a spiritual gift or as a gift, what should you do? You should do this. He says, you should, uh, you should um, be, that you should use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's multifaceted, varied grace. Now, let's stop right there. Let me give you a couple of principles. Here's the first one. Christians got talent. <laughs> Y'all aren't a very good crowd. I actually worked real hard on that, thought I'd get a little response out of that. I'm, I'm trying to be relevant here. Singles, I'm trying to be relevant here. Britain's got talent. America's got talent. Guess what? Christians got talent. Every single one of you who know Christ savingly, you got talent. Now you got two types of talent. But, and this is interesting. The word, when I say the word talent, what do you think of? Hopefully as a Christian, you think of a, as soon as I say the word talent, you think of a God-given gift, right? Hello? That's what you think of. Do you know when that first was given? And the sermon that was preached by Jesus and he used the talent giving as a, uh, as an illustration. It's called the parable of the talents. Did you know, did you know that that, did you know that that word talent had nothing to do with that? The word talent was about a cash, a large cash of money, a repository of money. Now we don't, when I say talent, you don't think about money. Now you may think about stewardship of money, but you don't think about money because they redefine the word and it now becomes a God given resource that he has given to you. There are two types of talents I want you to think about in this series. We've got physical talents and we've got spiritual talents. We've got both of them, physical and spiritual. Uh, you've got an IQ. You've got certain uh, tactile gifts. You've got certain uh, inclinations. Some of you are mechanical. Some of you are theoretical. We've got all kinds of gifts that God has naturally bestowed upon us. Personalities. All of that has been given to us. They're different. And we're not going to be spending much time on 
those natural talents, but we will be referring to them. Spiritual gifts will determine how you use those natural talents. That's what they will determine. Spiritual gifts will determine how you use natural talents. I used the illustration in the first service I'll use again. In the church I pastored at Christ's Covenant, we had some single guys come up to me and, and they said, you know, preacher, I, I don't, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, but, um, you know, I, here's what I see. I see we got a lot of widows and single women here that, um, probably can be pray for some character questionable people who take care of cars. Not that mechanics are that way, just some. Uh, who don't know Jesus yet, may be that way. And they said, you know, but there's so much that they we could just do for them. It'd take us 10 minutes. You know, we can check the, iron, uh, the tires. We can check the batteries. We can do this. We can do that. We can change the oil. We can do all that stuff. And then we can have a lift. It gets beyond us. we got some reputable people to pass them to. And, um, and we all love to do that. So the next thing I know, they and some... Single women started this ministry once a quarter where the single women and the widows would bring their cars and get the oil change and get this and get that. The guys are out there working on it. And then the girl, the young ladies are in there talking and fellowshipping and building a relationship with the women. When they get back, there's a rose in the seat and they're ready to go. And there I saw it. Mechanically natural talent, gift of mercy. And then they put it together to minister something effective and helpful. And more than getting cars fixed, relationships were established. That's the body of Christ working. So Christians, you got talent. You got natural talents. We'll learn how to use them by learning what the Bible says about spiritual gifts and spiritual talents. And uh, secondly, so you've not only got talent, the second thing I want you to see from the text is each uh, Christian has a talent and spiritual gifts are to be received. Spiritual gifts are to be received. Here's what you need to think of. The Father has ordained your gift. Jesus has purchased your gift at the cross. He has ascended whereby he gives gifts to men. And as these gifts are given, then the Father has designed and decreed and sent those gifts. The Son has accomplished it. And now the Holy Spirit, I wanted to say, hand delivers it. I think I'd prefer to say the Holy Spirit heart delivers it to you. He gives you this gift and he places it upon your heart. That's what he does for you. Gifts are not invented. You cannot leave here and go develop your, uh, and go uh, invent your spiritual gift. Gifts come from God. These gifts come from God. They are unearned. They're charismata. They're gifts of grace that God has given. Therefore, you don't work them up. You may work on them. You may work with them, but you don't work them up. He brings them down. You receive them. They are given to you as a special gift. And notice, they are multifaceted. They're multifaceted. And they're gloriously seen in the lives of a Christian 
as they're put together. In fact, you're going to meet people with the gift of teaching. You're going to meet another with the gift of teaching, another with the gift of teaching. And you watch them teach and you realize they got the gift of teaching, but boy, they teach differently. They're multifaceted gifts, multi, varied. The very, the very nature of God's grace is shown in the, uh, in the, um, what do you call it? I've been trying to think of the word, uh, uh, a palette. When you got paint stuff all over it and you're going to put together something, we're all on that. What is it? Y'all don't know either, do you? It's something, you know, an artist puts it there and he puts all those colors and the next thing you know, we got a portrait over here. We're all those colors. We're multifaceted. And the Holy Spirit blends this thing together so that we get accomplished the mission, the message, and the ministry that Christ has given to us. Well, let me go to number three. got to do this quickly. Yes, very quickly. Here we are. Christians are stewards, oikonomos, rules of the house. We get the word economics from it. In other words, you, the Trinity, has given you a gift, heart delivered. Each one of you have one. Now, we are to steward it. What does a steward do? The steward manages. Please remember what we said last week. Please remember this. You own nothing in this world. Christians are stewards. Stewards own nothing. We own nothing. Now, I know we live in a world, in the kingdoms of this world, we got our names on the property title. But in our mind, in our heart, we recognize I, if, um, if we live, we do not live unto ourselves. We live unto God. To live is Christ. He owns everything. Everything I have in life, natural talent, spiritual, whatever it is, responsibilities, relationships, resources, God, I, I own nothing. Number two, God owns everything. Not just the tithe, he owns the whole bank account. Not just Sunday, he owns all seven days. I thank God for the tithe and the, and the Sabbath to teach us. But he has given us, he owns everything. He owns my house, he owns my wife, he owns my children, he owns my grandchildren. They are his and I want to be a good steward. Number three. Stewards carry out the desires of the owner as they allocate the resources and use them. Good stewards allocate the resources according to the, according to the direction of the steward, of the uh, owner. Well, who's the owner? God. How does God give you direction to use his resources, your spiritual gifts? In his word. His word gives you the channel markers of life ministry with the spiritual gifts. Number four, spiritual gifts fall into two interdependent categories. Spiritual gifts fall into two interdependent, interdependent. Look what it says. Whoever speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, what you're going to find when we get to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 is unbelievable list of spiritual gifts and they're going to be very specific very distinctive but here's what he's saying there are two categories there are speaking gifts there are serving gifts those are the two categories now please note the word i put up there interdependent why do i say that because speakers who have speaking gifts serve servants who have serving gifts speak they're interdependent, they overlap, and they work together. I mean, look at the offices of the church. Elder, speaking, deacon, serving. 
You see these categories in the lives of God's people. They are both there. That they are both working together in the Lord. Speaking gifts, serving. Now we're going to get down, you know, leading, teaching, giving, uh, all of those individual dynamics. But they all fit into those two categories as we go further and work our way from those two, uh, from the, from these two categories to the individual. And then number five, number five, two indispensable resources. You got to speak what? The oracles of God. That's an Old Testament phrase that you would recognize as God's word. When you speak, it's not what you and I think. It's not what the world thinks. God's people need to hear God's word to get the mind of Christ. So if you teach, preach, whatever you do, you're, you are bringing God's word. Secondly, didn't you love what you just sung a few moments ago? Lord, we're going to rise up for the mission. Give strength to every stride. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Word of God, and we need the Spirit of God who brings the strength of God to accomplish these ministries. Well, I've got much more to say about that, but I'm just out of time to say it to you. And But praise the Lord, I've got three more texts, and they all say the same thing. I just get, then I get a chance to build on it. So let me give you your takeaway. I, this one will not fit on a bumper sticker. But it's going to be foundational and we're going to keep filling it out over the next couple of weeks. So whether you want to jot it down, get it off the website, whatever you want to do, here it is. Because we're going to keep coming back. This one's foundational. This wraps up the framing five principles from Peter. Here they are. A spiritual gift is a God-designed and God-delivered ministry resource from God to be used in connection in concert with other believers. Let me just say this. I don't know whether you want to be a part of Briarwood Presbyterian Church or not. You're welcome. Praise the Lord. Incredible. We love to serve together in Christ. But I will tell you this. You will never use your spiritual gift. Discover, develop, and deploy them to the praise of God. Until you are connected to the body of Christ in a local church. Hands can't work alone. Arms can't work alone. Legs can't work alone. God's gifted us to be connected and serving one another to the glory of God. So here it is, other believers enabling Christ's church to effectively exalt Christ by staying on mission, on message, in ministry for the glory of God in the midst of its of adversity, whether your gifts are speaking or whether they are serving. Folks, spoiler alert. Here's where we're headed. We're going to find out every Christian not only has a gift, but every Christian's gift is unique. Nobody else has got one like you. Even though you're going to fit into categories, you're unique. And praise God for that. Okay, i got to use this. i got to give you this illustration. So I got invited because somebody had done an analysis of Briarwood and wanted to explain why we were able to hand off ministry from Frank Barker to Harry Reader and the TP didn't get torn up. And this guy had the answer. I was invited to hear it, and I heard it, and I listened to it. And this is what he said. The reason they did it is because the church leadership was smart enough to get the next guy who would line up in personality with the previous guy. I said, are you kidding me? 
I mean, I love Frank. And we believe God's word. And we believe we're supposed to make disciples. And we believe that, I mean, there's so much work. I mean, yeah. But personality? My goodness, you couldn't get more different. That's why don't, when we discover gifts, it's fine to do surveys, but don't rest on surveys, particularly those that rest on personality types. Don't do that. It's amazing what God does with an introvert, with an extrovert, and they both get to pastor a church. It's amazing what God does in life and ministry. So just remember that this is, every Christian is unique. Your gifts are unique. Now listen to me. They're, di- they're not static. They're dynamic. They're developing. That's why discover, develop, and deploy. They are dynamic. They are, um, they are discoverable. They are develop, but you can develop them. You can't, you can't create them, but you can develop them. You can fan the flame of the gifts and you can deploy them. They're discoverable. They're d- developable. <laughs> That's a word. They are deployable and God sovereignly designed and delivered yours to you. And you're accountable at the day of judgment for how you use it, how you've managed it, how you've allocated it, how you've used it. And you don't want to get there with gifts that were unused, misused, or abused. But employed in serving one another that Christ would be exalted in the Lord. You can discover them. You can develop them. You can use them. And yes, surveys are going to be helpful. Gifts are from Christ to Christ and they're for Christ in the body of Christ. And and you don't do this for... Please hear me on this. You don't do this for personal gratification. Oh, you're going to get personal gratification. But you don't do it for gratification and satisfaction. Your motivation is not personal gratification and satisfaction. Your motivation is gospel proclamation and God's exaltation. That's your motivation. Listen, if you, if you make spiritual gifts all about you, you're going to get confused. You're a candidate for divisiveness. There's going to be envy. There's going to be competition. There's going to be jealousy. Don't make it about you. That's the best way to be blessed. Make it about God's glory, Christ's proclamation, and loving one another and serving one another well within the body of Christ as you discover, develop, and deploy. So, Pastor, what's the best way for me to get started discovering? Can I tell you the best way? Go start ministry. Just get into ministry. Just say, I got a passion here. Go start following it out. See these people? They all got a passion for the sanctity of life, right? Medical, legal, home, family. It's, it's amazing. The, the panoply here. It's amazing. That's what God does. God takes these multivariate things and puts them together. And the way you find out is by, it's easier to get the ship to the right port once it gets moving. You can't turn it when it's sitting still in the water. 
I had a guy come to me in Miami, my first church, and he said to me, he said, Pastor, I really, I, God's given me a gift for small groups. I love small group discipleship. I said, well, praise the Lord. We're trying to get him started. So I put him in with me. We got four couples. It grew to 12 couples. I handed the 12 couples off. I went and started another group. Next thing I hear is the 12 couples are down to three couples. And somebody calls me and said, Pastor, we need help. So I went back. We got the troop. But, and I said, I just figured, you know, I probably didn't disciple him well because I'm not a good small group leader anyway. So maybe I need to do this again. So I took him with me to the next group I was doing. And then I handed that group off. I got a phone call. Pastor, we're down to four, four couples. The 12, uh, eight of them are gone. And can you come back? And yeah, we did that. So finally I took him into a third group to disciple him. And, and I just love God's kind providence for, you know, so that a blind pig can pick up an acorn every once in a while. And I said, you know, I, we're going to start another group. I got three couples. I don't have a home for it. Hey, look, Joe, I'm going to call him Joe. Joe, can we meet in your, your home with you and your wife? Would y'all mind? Oh, yeah. He said, I love, remember, I love small groups. I will host it. So we get in there. And guess what? Best small group I've ever had in my life. Except for the one I'm doing right now. I hope they heard that. Uh, it's the best small group I've ever had in my life. You know what I found out? Here's what I found out. Joe loved small group discipleship. He assumed he had a speaking gift. You know what we found out? He and his wife were the greatest hosts small groups could ever have. I mean, when you got to their home, you didn't want to leave. He had a serving gift. How did we find it out? He would still be wondering, trying to make a small group work. We found it out because he got into the ministry. And that's how you discovered it. So, folks, let's arise. The strength of God give us our stride. The word of God give us our direction. And every one of your gifts are important. The Christian life is not a cruise ship. All about personal convenience. The Christian life is a battleship. And the horn has sounded. All hands on deck. And man the position God has called you to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Thank you for the... Just the privilege to get started into this. God, uh, this subject is so um, engaging and, uh, and to know its relevance to every Christian. And maybe just to see it in the life of a church where the ministries in the church and from the church into the world have people being placed as who are discovering, developing, and deploying the gifts you've given to them. So, God, would you please give us that? Would you give us that to your glory? Thank you for my brothers and sisters here. God, if there's anyone here who has never received the gift of eternal life from Christ, who so gifts his people to serve him, may they receive that gift. If you would like to pray with someone about your life in Christ or about your spiritual gifts, there will be those up here at the front who will be ready, desirous to pray with you today. Jesus, thank you that we could worship and praise you. Bless this Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, 
or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.